Living Stones is a weekly conversation about living a truly Catholic life. Deacon Harold Burke Sivers and Ken Hellenius help you deepen your relationship with Christ and His Church, discussing practical ways to grow in faith, participate more fully in the liturgy, and practice charity towards all. Hello and welcome to Living Stones. I'm your co-host, Deacon Harold Burke Sivers. And joining me in the virtual studio, as always, is my, my good friend, my buddy, my brother from another mother, and the 193rd person to climb Mount Everest, <laughs> the, the great Ken Hellenius. Ken, how you doing? <laughs> I'm a bit winded after my last climb. Thanks. <laughs> I, I'll tell you, um, we've had a really, really cold uh, kind of winter after, after a really mild winter. And uh, like when I got back a couple of weeks ago from the March for Life, it was negative eight degrees when we woke up in the morning. <laughs> And I was like, oh, and, and to think that there are people who actually choose to climb mountains when I could just actually walk out my front door and be just as cold. Nope, I'm okay. I'm good. <laughs> wow. You know it's cold when the dog goes out and he's really excited to go out and then he takes four steps and he's like, I think I'm just going to do my business here and then go right back in. You know? <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, right. I know. And didn't you tell me at one point that when you were at Notre Dame that like they never canceled class? That's right. <laughs> That's right. It was it was in fact I thought I remember freshman year, um, there was a, a cold spell with sixty below zero and they still had school. <laughs> Seriously. It was the first time I ever heard anything on the emergency broadcast system. Wow. Wow, and uh, it was a the 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 normal temperature was like twenty below, but with the wind chill, it was sixty below. I mean, they were having warnings; so it was dangerous, frostbite, all that. And we still had school. Oh my gosh! Well, and now look at you today, because of all that knowledge and learning. Now you get to uh, we get to sit across from one another once a week here on the radio. Yep, <laughs> I'm glad. Highlight of my week. <laughs> That's right. Me too. Me too. Well, it's good to see you, Deacon. Oh, it's always good to be with you, Ken. You know, you're looking good for a man who's in the midst of his Lenten fast already. <laughs> and all the traveling, too. You well, know, so. oh, yeah. Well, and all the, obviously, yeah. <laughs> well, I missed you when I was on campus. <sighs> that Do not, do not make me sad again. <laughs> I know. Here, here we are on the radio every week together, and you take the good time to come and speak to the, uh, to the gentlemen of South Bend, Indiana, the Diocese of Fort Wayne, South Bend. And so what do I do? I travel back to Portland. I know. Crazy. Yep. And I uh, and actually spoke at the Edith Stein lecture there. Right. The lectures that, yeah, that got invited to speak and uh, uh, gave a, uh, a talk. They wanted me to talk about uh, reconciliation and mercy. Yeah. And so, you know, usually I was like, oh, can I do something academic? But I said, you know, no, I- I'm just going to do something practical. Wow, you know, yeah. I mean, I could have done, I could have done something. I, oh, I'm at Notre Dame and I'm, I'm lecturing in this big hall and, you know, and hit and, and impress these people with my knowledge or something. But, <laughs> you know, I and praying about it, I said, no, just give them Jesus. I mean, just yeah. put some flesh on the bone, you know, mm-hmm. and 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 just get out of the head and make the transition from the head to the heart, you know. So I decided yeah. to do that approach instead, and uh, uh, seemed to be very well received. So I'm, I was very happy to be back. Speaking to students of my alma mater. Yeah, that is so awesome. And and I love that idea. It's the practical turn, you know, I think. Um, and that's the real temptation here, I think, uh, especially in like academic uh, settings is, you know, let's let's you know, dig deep into the, into the kind of the academic background of X, Y, or Z topic. But sometimes when it comes to our faith, you know, 
the rubber has to hit the road at some point, right? How are we yeah. living this out in our daily existence? And I, I actually had a chance uh, back in January to do that. I spoke to uh, a uh, men's group at a parish in Ohio, in Sunbury, Ohio, at St. John Neumann. And um, let's talk about the liturgical year. And the liturgical year can be something, you know, we've talked about it a lot here on the show. Um I decided to take it in the direction of, okay, here's what the year is and how it breaks down, but how can we implement these then in and aspects of the liturgical year in our life as fathers, as people who are living in the world? And so, again, much like you say, you know, there was a bit of, of learning there, but there was also how does this play out in how we live in our walk with Christ every day? No, exactly. That that's a beautiful thing, and and I think we need to do more of that, you know, in in our preaching and, and teaching, uh, in the church. Make the and so it's not just like all heart, and it's not just all head. But it's a beautiful combination of both. Yeah. So that the entire our entire person, our heart, mind, and soul is being engaged with the beauty of the truth. I couldn't agree more. And that actually is a great kind of transition. You know, last week we were blessed to have uh, Father Brian Milady come back and join us again. And he really, you know, we had that great conversation about Lent and about some themes that he preaches about in Lent as he goes around and continues to do his active preaching ministry. And I know you and I have chatted often about the, the things that, that you preach uh, about when you go out and do parish missions. This is obviously your super busy time uh, during Lent, helping people to prepare during this season of repentance, which again, as the church refers to Lent as a joyful season uh, of Lent, to prepare for the celebration of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus in his passion at the end. Um, and so we chatted, you know, so often in our show, we've, we've had these wonderful, great extended conversations about different documents of the church. And we thought, let's take a couple weeks here and really talk about what we are hearing in our worship each Sunday uh, at, during these weeks of Lent. And so for the next couple weeks, we are going to chat about the readings for the Sunday Mass, the Sunday uh, Masses of Lent, uh, especially focusing on the gospel, but also building in some of these other uh, readings. You know, we, we are blessed to have three readings every Sunday at Mass, and uh, and they are often connected thematically in one way or another. So so that's really what we're going to do over these, these next few weeks, is take it not entirely academic, uh, you know, not this isn't Bible study, this is what is the story being told and then how does it actually play out in our lives? Uh, how can it play out? How should it play out uh, as we, again, continue our walk with Christ? Right. Amen. And, um, you know, this is uh, year C. So we're, uh, we're focused on the, the Lucan Gospels. Yeah. And um, and so this uh reading for the well actually we just briefly had the first sunday right we had the yeah. first sunday readings um last weekend yeah and uh, uh so just to briefly touch on on those those were uh, jesus temptation in the devil uh, in the desert by the devil yeah you know and i just one thing i want to point out is an interesting um juxtaposition in my mind when i think about the temptation is if you look at in genesis chapter three when satan was tempting the woman you know, and after the temptation, she she looked back at the tree. She said she saw the tree was good for food. It was a delight to the eyes and desired to make one wise. And you look at the temptations of Jesus. 
Um, the first thing he tempted was with food. If you're to turn, because Jesus was hungry after right. the forty day fast, turn these rocks into bread, and you know, if you're the son of God, so get the food, uh, delight to the eyes, took them up to the, you know, showed them all the kingdoms in the world mm-hmm. and and the glories of them, and said, you know, if you just fall down and worship me, all this can be yours, you know, and, and again, it, it, and then the third one. Desired to make uh, desired to make one wise. In other words, you're going to be like God. Yeah. You know, it took him to the parapet of the temple. If you're in a temple, jump off of here and the angels will catch you. You know, quoting, you know, uh, Psalm 91 to the word of God. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, the arrogance yeah, of the word the devil. himself. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought it was an in- interesting parallel there. You know, again, because Jesus had not come to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them. And so where Eve failed, Jesus says, you know, after each one of those temptations, he redirects discussion back to focusing your, the mind, heart, and soul on obedience to God's will. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. that's, and I think that's the key for us. Yeah. Well, and I'm really glad that you brought it back to Genesis because that's kind of what I was thinking too. You know, this is a story of Jesus going out, willfully going out into the desert. And it says that the spirit drove him out into the desert and the spirit that drives him out into the desert and he go, I mean, he goes out now what happened in Genesis at, after the fall, but God drove Adam and Eve out of the, out of the heavenly paradise into the desert, into the outer world, you know, and now Jesus is choosing to go out and to face temptation, to actually call us back in. He goes out to where Mm. man was sent to bring us back in to walk with God again in the heavenly paradise. So that's kind of, that, that was the first thing that I thought of in this. And then it's this idea, as you say, you know, there are three temptations taking place here, right? He was hungry. So there's kind of this idea. Hunger is really in a way, uh, Uh, you know, kind of lust of the flesh, you know, it's like my, when I see delicious food, I all of a sudden want the delicious food and that's kind of a a type of lust. So it's, it's really a a temptation there. This desire for glory that you talked about, you know, uh, to give them all the kingdoms of the world. And then this eagerness for power to power over the angels, to throw yourself down and, and tempt God is to basically say, you will be like gods. Well, of course, as you said, the devil is tempting and trying to tempt God himself and quoting (laughs) the word of scripture to the word made flesh. But what what do we get out of this? We get um, an insight from Christ himself on how to defeat the devil through prayer, through fasting, through not dialoguing with the temptations, not entering into an entertaining temptations, but actually being bathed ourselves in scripture, being familiar with scripture so that it's at our lips so that we can quote and rely upon and trust in the Lord who is the word made flesh. So through our own prayer and fasting and, um, you know, continual bathing in scripture during this Lenten time, we too can resist the temptation that comes. Yeah. And often when people are praying, you know, for their loved ones or, or you know, praying for the kids to come back to the church, you know, they, they, they say things like, I'm praying, I'm praying. Why is it not working? Because sometimes you have to pray and fast. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because fasting, because what happens when you fast, you feel hungry. And the reason why you're hungry, because your body's reminding you that you're really hungering for a relationship with God, intimacy with God. Mm-hmm. That's what you're really hungry for, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and, and also fasting empties you, you know, mm-hmm. it, it, you're, you're emptying yourself of sin so God can fill you with his life. 
you know, there's some beautiful parallels there with with uh, fasting that sometimes they, they, we don't think enough about. Yeah. Now, there is one little warning at the end of the gospel that we heard yesterday, too. And it's this. It says that uh, the devil went away until an opportune time. Yeah. So see, we're going to see yeah, him again. We can't forget that. No. Well, we think because sometimes we think if we overcome or win a particular battle of sin in our life that, OK, I'm good now. But we always have to be on guard, always have to be aware that the devil is lurking there to try and drag us back down with him. Yep. That's why we always have to be prayerful. We always have to be alert and aware and, and in this relationship with God, always trying to move forward in that relationship and never getting lazy and complacent. Like I've got it, I've got it figured out now. Yeah. You yeah, know? yeah. Because we won't have it figured out till we're dead and standing before Jesus Christ for judgment. That's, we got it figured out. <laughs> Absolutely. That's the prayer. And that's why we have to continually rely upon the Lord is we don't always have it figured out here, but we can trust in him. We can trust in him and he will send his angels to guard us. Yep. That's right. It's one of their jobs. That's one of their jobs. Exactly. Well, so that's that was the first Sunday of Lent. And uh, then coming up, we actually have the second Sunday of Lent. And um, the the readings this coming Sunday um, are all about uh, the transfiguration of Jesus. So this comes from uh, from the the ninth chapter of the Gospel of Saint Luke, and um, we'll be hearing this. And it's a uh, there are a whole bunch of really interesting things in the tempt or in the transfiguration themselves that uh, I absolutely love these these readings here. Well, first thing is the theophany, right? A theophany is called the manifestation of God, and this is one of the mysteries that was included in the luminous mysteries. Yes, because the luminous mysteries as we because uh, we talked about the rosary remember back uh was it last year we talked about this but 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 it's a manifestation of god so you know that the baptism of the lord the institution of the eucharist the wedding feast of cana where where you know these are theophanies or where god is manifesting showing himself to us and and here in this transfiguration is beautiful because i think the whole point of transfiguration is that the encounter with christ changes you Mm-hmm. You know, once you once you encounter Christ, you are transfigured. You're you're not the same again because you've had this intimate, personal, loving, life giving encounter with the living God. I, I think. I mean, overall, I, I think that's what the um, transfiguration could be about. But I know that there's beautiful, inter- interesting elements in there that you like to bring out. Yeah. Well, um, so the reading that we're going to hear this this weekend talks. It really takes place when you're reading it in the in the Bible itself, uh, and not just what we hear proclaimed. It says that about eight days after these sayings took place, Jesus took Peter, James, and John up the mountain. And so, what we will hear begins with Jesus took Peter, James, and John up the mountain. Um, it it's important that it's taking place on an eighth day. Because eight days before this, he had preached to his disciples about the necessity of taking up their cross. And so Jesus is now eight days later after talking about taking up one's cross. What takes place on the eighth day, as we call it in in the Christian calendar? The eighth day is the day of the resurrection, the day in which God, in which Jesus Christ revealed his glory to us by being resurrected. So he spoke of his cross eight days ago, and now he is showing forth, giving a foretaste of his glory in the, in the transfiguration. And they go up this mountain, and Peter, James, and John, we hear, are heavy with sleep. Now, we're going to hear of Peter, James, and John being heavy with sleep again at the end of Lent when they go to the Garden of Gethsemane with Jesus, and he is not at all 
transfigured in his glory at that moment, but he is at his um, most fearful and afraid because such that he is, is crying tears of blood. So Peter, James, and John are the witnesses to this. And what they see is Jesus interacting with Moses and Elijah. And of course, Moses and Elijah represent the, the law and the prophets. Moses gives us the law. Uh, he actually himself went up the mountaintop and, and spoke with God face to face himself. Moses had this encounter on Mount Sinai that lasted 40 days, much like our Lent does. He's on the mountaintop 40 days, speaking face to face with God at such that when he came down the mountaintop, Moses, his face had been, it shone so brightly that the Israelites couldn't even look upon him. And that's what's happening to Jesus. He is shining so brightly in the transfiguration that it hurts their eyes too. Um, And Elijah also goes up the mountaintop and sees God, but he sees God when he's hidden in the hollow of the rock and God passes by. So we're seeing here Jesus, God himself, interacting again on a mountaintop with the two that have seen God face to face and lived. Moses and Elijah. This is such a marvelous um, kind of encounter. And what are they speaking about? But they're speaking about, they say, Jesus's departure. And departure is the word exodus. Jesus is also going to make an exodus. And we know how this ends. We know that this ends in Jesus's death. His departure from this world of sin to the promised land of heaven that he is leading us all to in our exodus from sin to the resurrected life as well. So this is a fascinating story. Oh, it is. And notice when Jesus first transfigures, they're they're a little afraid, Mm -hmm. you know? And I, I think that's a natural human reaction because transfiguration causes fear and a death in a sense and a dying to self. You know, in order to truly change where you are now to get to where you want to be, you have to change. You have to die. Mm-hmm. You have to die to your old ways of thinking. You have to die to your old ways of acting. You have to change your approach to the way you live. You have to maybe cut people out of your life temporarily that are taking you to a place where where God doesn't want you to go. You have to die to our vices and habits, um, things that we lie about to other people and to our loved ones. Um, you know, dying to ourselves so we can rise with Christ mm-hmm. and to be able to proclaim with St. Paul, I've been crucified with Christ, right? It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So this self-emptying, this this gift of self, and, and that the three apostles get to witness this. Yeah. You know, Jesus does a lot of things these guys don't understand, They'll, they'll understand later the, right, the meaning right. and significance of it. But I mean, they must have been just freaked out. Like, wait a minute, what's going on here? And how did they know it was Moses and Elijah? You know, Jesus probably had to tell them who they were because there was no <laughs> photographs. But right, oh, wait, right. that's I remember that. I remember that selfie I saw of Elijah back then. Right? So, <laughs> there's no paintings. There's no, you know. So, uh, uh, or maybe from the conversation they heard, maybe they figured it was Moses and Elijah. Who knows, you know? Yeah, that, I'd never really kind of thought about that. Yeah, hashtag no filter on this selfie, right? I mean, yeah, yeah, wow, there's a practical side to the transfiguration and even the word transfiguration itself. Um, You know, it's not a word we encounter anywhere else. You know, this this story that he was transfigured before them, uh, it's a pretty rare word 
Uh, and it's this same story is told in, in all three of the synoptic gospels. And in the other two, in Mark and Matthew, um, Jesus tells the, the, the apostles, don't say anything about this until the son of man has completed his, his mission here in Luke. We're not told that they, they are not told that because as you said, they are afraid. They don't know exactly what's going on, but they don't speak about it until after the resurrection. It changes them, this encounter. There's another aspect. And there's this funny thing that takes that kind of thing. Um, after the transfiguration takes place and after Moses and Elijah are gone, Peter says to Jesus, um, you know, Master, it's, it is well that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. And it's funny because the idea of making a tent or a booth, as it is in, in other translations, is an echo of what the Israelites were instructed to do to construct a movable temple, a temple for the Lord to dwell in. And yet, Peter, it says, you know, Peter didn't know what he was saying. And that's an interesting verse because, you know, we hear later in the book of Revelation that in the new heavenly Jerusalem, there is no temple because the Lord God himself, it says uh, Revelation 21 verse 22, I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. Peter is talking to the temple whom remember we hear in other gospel verses that Jesus says, if you, you know, you destroy this temple and in three days I will rebuild it. Jesus himself is the temple. And so Peter says, oh, let us build three booths, three, three tents, three, you know, three mini temples. He doesn't need to. We don't need to construct a temple for the Lord because he is the temple, Jesus Christ himself. And so it's a really fascinating thing, you know, um, and I love this little thing. Uh, it says, um, he did not know what he said, you know, other, other, yeah. other gospels. He didn't know what he was, you know, he had no clue. He was afraid, you know, and again, it comes from that fear <laughs> and encounter with the Lord is, and should shake us up. It absolutely should shake us up out of our complacency, out of our daily life, uh, you know, and turn us towards repentance. That's ultimately what this is about. No, absolutely. The entire scene uh, relates to the death of Christ. Uh, Jesus re reveals himself uh, in a change forms to his disciples um, because he's already predicted that his, you know, his death to them, mm -hmm. you know, and the father's voice from heaven designated the, the chosen son also points to, uh, again, to the cross, his act of salvation and redemption on the cross. Um, and this event also reveals within Christ's relationship to the entire old covenant and the constant relationship yes. between the father and the spirit, um, which has also overshadowed the disciples, uh, as representatives of the church to come. Mm -hmm. There's fulfillment here. There's prophecy here. There's pointing us toward the cross, uh, in this, uh, really unique kind of event. And, uh, it was on Mount, uh, Horeb, right? Was that what the transfiguration or Mount of Mount, Transfiguration? Mount Tabor. But Tabor, yeah. yeah. Which, of yeah, course, there yeah. in, in uh, Portland, Mount Tabor is, uh, if you go up to the top there, <laughs> you may even encounter the Lord, you know? <laughs> Actually, Mount Tabor in Portland is is interesting because on top of there, there's that park, you know, and it reminds me of, of a uh, mountaintop in uh, The Lord of the Rings. When you stand there, you can see all of the world around you, you know, because, of course, Mount Tabor itself is an old volcano. 
you know, mm-hmm. uh, there in Portland. So I always found that to be kind of a neat place to go to the top of. And and the fact that it bears the same name as that of the Mount of the Transfiguration is an uh, interesting, uh, interesting little tidbit. I kind of like that. <laughs> well, I think one of the things that also all this points to is the Eucharist, too, how the Eucharist and the reception of Christ into our lives can transfigure us from the inside out. Mm-hmm. You know, we yes. see the living God within us. And then we have to go not only transform us, then we have then we're kicked out of church to go transform the world. Yes. And transform society and transfigure. You know, it's just just a beautiful connection. And um, and so I hope people really think about this. You know, when, when when they're hearing these readings next weekend and then they receive the Eucharist, how am I changed now? How am I different now? Because mm-hmm. Christ is in me. Uh, what obligation responsibility do I have to make Christ present and known and loved in my own family, amongst the siblings, upon people who I who I dislike, right. quite frankly? Jesus says, love your enemies. So uh, what does that mean? That doesn't mean to ignore them. That means to sometimes engage people that think differently from you, mm-hmm. you know, with with respect. Um, but but not being afraid and shying away from the beauty and truth of the faith, because that again the encounter with Christ changes you. It's it's good news, and as I mentioned um, in, in a prior show, that if this news that Caesar proclaimed is not just evangelium, it's not good news. It's life changing news, you know. And this is the news that Jesus proclaims to us: news that can truly transfigure and change your life. I love it absolutely. That is, uh, you know, of course the. Um, the goal of all of our conversations that we've had here on Living Stones over the years is to invite to deeper reflection on our life of sacramental, on our sacramental life and how it affects us when we walk out the doors of the church. And the transfiguration, you know, here in this story, what we are hearing is um, something that changes the lives of Peter, James, and John. It prepares them for what is to come. This takes place, you know, here we are in this, in the second Sunday of, of Lent or, uh, and what we are coming up on is going to get harder for us too. You know, Lent is really just begun. Our journey with Christ is just beginning and we are on our way to the passion, death and resurrection. And so again, the transfiguration is a preview and is a promise that through this, we will be brought to the glory of the resurrection. That's what the transfiguration is a preview of. And so we shall overcome (laughs) someday. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, Deacon, we've come to uh, the end of another great conversation. And um, so I want to invite our listeners to connect with us. We have a Facebook group. You can uh, search for Living Stones on Mater Dei Radio. You can download previous episodes of the show at materdeiradio.com. That's M-A-T-E-R-D-E-I radio.com. If you're on Twitter, you can find us at Catholic Stones. We also have livingstonesmedia.org as well. And podcasts too. And download the podcast, exactly. Share it with your friends, because all the cool kids are listening. So, be a cool kid. (laughs) Deacon, until we gather uh, together next week, might we have a a blessing to send us on our way on our Christian journey. Sure. May Almighty God bless you and keep you the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. We'll see you next week here on Living Stones. You've been listening to Living Stones with Ken Hellenius and Deacon Harold Burke Sivers. Living Stones is produced at the studios of Modern Day Radio in Portland, Oregon. For more information about this show, go to moderndayradio.com. That's M-A-T-E-R-D-E-I radio.com.